Hello, this is podcast number seven. We're looking at spiritual gifts in the local church, part B. Um, and the study series, of course, learning church from the word. This is study number seven. Um, the podcast is study number seven. We will be looking at study number eight, and I think that will conclude our, our time around learning church from the word. Um, number eight will be, just a sneak preview, number eight will be about... Um, countercultural aspects of church life as from the New Testament. Um, so we've already touched on one or two of those. We've thought of uh, displayed headship in the head covering um, in an earlier study, but there are several other things that are kind of not the way people think that churches should be today um, that come from the New Testament. So we'll look at that in study number eight, but now um, focusing on study number seven, we're still looking at spiritual gifts. We looked at spiritual gifts and the local church part A, and now we're looking at spiritual gifts in the local church part B. When we were looking at part A, uh, we took a, a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we thought about the body uh, of, of Christ in that larger sense of every believer, how that we're placed in the body as it has pleased the Spirit, and that we have been given a gift that is suited for our functioning in that body. Um, none of us can have a inferiority complex because every one of us has something to do, and none of us should have a superiority complex either because every one of the members are necessary. In fact, he goes on to say that some members need extra um, honour because they are not necessarily prominent members. They don't have an honour from their position. They're not like the eyes of the body, nice and beautiful and easy to behold. They're, they're, but they're just vital. You think of how vital the functioning of the heart is. Uh, you can do without an eye. You can't do without the heart. And so, so just because a member of the body, an organ or a, a part of the body is not prominent, it certainly doesn't mean it's not vital. Um, so we have, for the body to function properly, the physical body, as the example is, we have all these different members and they're all functioning in diversity, in their own roles, and yet in unity for the blessing of the whole body. So that's what we were looking at mainly, looking at spiritual gifts and some of the other things behind the subject of spiritual gifts from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We did note uh, one other thing when we were there, and it's this. Um, often the first question people ask when, they're, when they think of a spiritual gift as a Christian is, what's my spiritual gift? Whereas really there are a lot of other questions we should be asking first before we come to that question, such as what does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? What do they show? What's their use? What is the aim of these gifts? How can we use our own gifts for the glory of God. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 deal with spiritual gifts from different aspects. We illustrated this as um, like the engine parts, uh, the parts of a moving engine. You know, you have in chapter 12 all, all the parts of the engine. Uh, then in chapter 13, you have love, which is the oil, the, the way in which these parts begin to work in a proper way um, they need the oil to lubricate the movement in the engine parts and in chapter 14 there's there are engine there's a way in which you operate an engine you you need to follow certain 
uh, guidelines and regulations for operating the engine successfully. Uh, and so that's like chapter 14. It's not so much the parts, the different gifts that there are, and the fact that they're set in different parts of the body. It's not the lubrication of love that should bring us together. But in chapter 14, um, the, the focus really is on how to regulate gift and the use of gift in the public gatherings of the local church. Now we'll find out that I'm specifically saying the public gatherings of the local church because everybody has a gift and not everybody's gift is public. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is focusing on public gift. Uh, yet we can learn lessons from it. So um, we trust as we go through um, what we looked at in um, chapter 13 and 14, um, spiritual gifts in the local church from 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, that it will be a blessing to you um, as you listen. So, if you have the handout, and it should be available, if you don't have it, um, please ask me for one. You'll notice as I begin this handout, an introduction, I, I, I say something like this. Having looked at the distribution of gifts through the body of Christ, and by implication the local church, we must ask ourselves the next questions. What should motivate our use of our particular gift? Now, the answer to this question is divine love. Divine love. So, what we're going to do now is read chapter 13 and commend ourselves to the Lord. And then we'll think through some of the great, beautiful principles of chapter 13 and the motivation of the use of gift in the local church as love. So, let's read it together and then pray. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. But then I shall know just as also I am known. And now I abide. Faith, love, hope. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Father, as we come into thy word again, we pray that we might be blessed. Help us as we just think through the beautiful truths of chapter 13 and chapter 14 briefly together. That we might each go away and investigate them further and try to understand a little bit more of how our own gift works. And how we should use our gift for the benefit of other Christians. And for the benefit and for the glory 
of our God. We just commend ourselves to thee. We pray that we will understand your ways better and appreciate your love more as we think of all these things. We ask it in name and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. At the beginning of our study on, on the previous Friday night, um, we, we began by asking the question, what really is our gift for? What is the purpose of gifts? What is the real end game, as it were? Why does God give gifts? Now, we had some really good answers. We had an answer which um, I think um, Helen gave us about the whole idea of edifying, building each other up, and that is so true. Um, and that's, I think, part of the main answer. Another excellent answer we got from Eva was that um, really uh, spiritual gifts are an evidence, an evidence of, of Christ among us. And again, that's a wonderful and very truthful answer. We, we actually turned to substantiate that uh, from 1st Corinthians to 1st Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, you'll notice in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 it says, um, verse number 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and knowledge, by the gifts that you've been given. And then he says, even as the testimony of Christ, or the testimony of the Christ, was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so on. And it's very interesting in this passage, in this original, the, the, the first uh, ten verses or nine verses or so of First Corinthians, that Paul really emphasises the fact that they had much gift. They, they were enriched. They were benefited. They were, had spiritual blessings. And then he says right in the centre of that in verse number 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. In other words, they came with the gospel, the message of a risen Christ, the, the message of someone who had died, and we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he had died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again the third day. According to chapter 2, we find out that he was Christ crucified, but now risen and exalted. And, and as Paul came and as Paul saw people saved in Corinth, and as they were gathered together in community, in local church community, what was very evident very quickly was that, that this was all a witness to the risen Christ. The gift that they had, the knowledge that they had, the utterance that they had, evidence the reality of their conversion and the reality of the risen Christ and so that's a really good answer that one of the one of the things about gift is that it it emphasizes the reality of the risen Christ another thing it does is it emphasizes the reality of the present spirit the the Holy Spirit being present with us now if you turn to chapter 12 it says now concerning chapter 12 and verse number one now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. And in fact, if you have um, your, your, your Bible out, you might see that that word gifts is in italics. And really it's just now concerning spirituals, brethren. Uh, some have put it, um, I think, um, Mr. Darby, uh, Mr. 
Darby's translation, but concerning spiritual manifestations. Brother, I do know what you mean. Uh, you go down to verse number 7, um, just reading from the ESV here. Um, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Uh, the New King James Version puts it like this. Um, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And really what we're finding out is not only do gifts evidence the risen Christ. We'll see that again in a minute. But they also evidence the manifestation of the Spirit among us. Now that is wonderful just to think about it. That the gifts that we're given, the spiritual endowments that we're given if you like. They actually help to show that the Holy Spirit is among us of a truth. So you see someone who's particularly gifted in some way and, and helping other believers in their own sphere. What, what you see is really just a, a small evidence, as it were, of the work of the Spirit among us and the presence of the Spirit among us, the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, the passage I had in thought uh, when, when I asked the question, what is the real purpose of gift, was actually in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter Four. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 let's break into the reading Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8 reading from the New King James Version therefore he said and it's a quotation from the Old Testament when he ascended on high he led captivity captives and gave gifts to men verse 9 now this he ascended what does it mean but that he first descended to the lower parts of the earth. Verse 10. He who descended is also the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. But then he goes on to tell us what it was for. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should be no longer children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto or unto him who is the head. Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does, does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, there's a lot to that passage to unpack, but I want us to notice just a few very basic things uh, from that passage. The whole purpose of the giving of gifts is for... It says here, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So it, it has behind it the thought of a building up of the growth of the maturity um, of the body of Christ. Uh, the thought of maturity is behind it, if you like. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So doctrinal unity. So maturity and building up unity 
And then it goes on and it says, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so that's the idea of a correspondence to our identity with, with Christ. So we are become, to become more like Christ. The purpose of gift is that we might become more mature as Christians, so we will not be tossed to and fro, that we might become more unified in our understanding of the truth, of, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And that we might become more Christ-like. Uh, as, as the body of Christ, that we might be formed more and more into the likeness of, of the Lord who saved us. Now he's going to say at the end of verse 15 that we may grow, grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ. Uh, and really, the picture I think perhaps behind it is the, the fact of a little baby as they're born, as they're immature at the very beginnings of development, their head is out of proportion with the rest of their body. It's, it makes up so much percentage of the total mass of the body. You know, you see a little baby and one of the things you can't help but noticing um, is the fact that they have large head in comparison to their little small, especially newborns, little small scrawny bodies, often. But the thing is, as that person develops and feeds and grows and and matures, the, the, the body starts to correspond to the head. The shape, uh, the, the, the size of the body is more in fitting with the fullness of maturity. The head is more, uh, the body is more fitted to the head. And so as we grow as Christians, we are to be growing into likeness of Christ. And one of the ways in which that happens is through this, ministry says the work of the ministry and how is that brought about it's by the enabling gifts of the risen christ of the holy spirit so i'm just giving that as a little bit of background that maybe helps us to understand what gifts are all about now what should motivate our particular gift is the first question i ask in the introduction of the, the sheets the answer is divine love now paul goes and he segues to use that word, into um, a kind of dissertation on love, a beautiful um, something that we can all appreciate. I mean, even unbelievers, we were thinking, can appreciate something about the goodness that is found in a passage like this. Um, people will go into their weddings and they might have nothing to do with Christ or the scriptures in that wedding, but they will like to quote perhaps parts out of First Corinthians 13. Now, that's very nice because it's true. Let's look at the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 for a moment. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, uh, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So the very first point Paul is making is something about the value of love. Love is absolutely indispensable. We cannot do without it. Whether it's in speaking terms, you can have the most eloquent of tongues. I speak with the tongues of men and angels. He goes to the superlative. Um, this was brought out by uh, Stuart. Um, 
he really pushes it to its, its absolute limits. He says, if you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, uh, if you have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, everything that I have, everything that I can do, he goes to the absolute limit of all kinds of forms of, of expressions. Uh, whether using your tongue or, or through the gifts you've been given uh, or your understanding of your mind or even the body that you possess. If you go to the absolute lengths that, that seems to show devotion but behind it all there is no love. He says it's just a big fat zero. Now, we mentioned the fact that love itself, in this passage, it's not a kind of a sentimentality. It's not that, oh, I have to, you know, some people get kind of feel guilty if they don't have a warm feeling in self, inside themselves about other people. It's not about the warm feeling. Um, that's not what's being spoken about. It's really to do with our attitude. It's to do with our will and we decide to have this kind of love. So, so the Lord doesn't ask people to like their enemies. That would be quite... Not, I wouldn't say impossible, but it certainly wouldn't be the point. You see, you, you, you're not being asked to have even fond feelings for your enemies. You're asked to divinely love them. You're asked to look out for their best interest to... To decide to bless them, even if you don't have feelings for them. That's not the point. You see, it's all about the will. Now, emotions follow the will. If the will is uh, fixed, by the help of God, if you love someone divinely, it will develop into a deeper fellow feeling. And, and so you go into First Peter chapter 1, if you want to look at, at the use of love in tandem with um Another word for love, which is Philadelphia. The phileos word, the, the word for, for, if you like, a friendship and, and fondness and all those kind of things. And they can be brought and meshed in together. But the foundation of it all is this, that really, love, divine love, agape love, as it is here, is a choice. And what he's saying here is, listen, the way you use your gift it doesn't matter how gifted you are. And the people in Corinth thought tongues was so special and that everything was so amazing. If, if only, if only they could, they could in some way show how gifted they were. And it was self-orientated. And it was the little cliques. And it was all about some gifted people having all the airtime and so on and, and it was nothing about the blessing of the people around him. He's, Paul says, listen, it all comes to absolutely nothing. You could be the most gifted person in the world. You could have all the prophecy, all the knowledge, all the faith, everything. And if you don't have love, you have nothing. Now we ask the question, why is love so vital? And, and we came back to the whole thought that, that really love is intrinsic to who God is as to his being. What makes God God? God is light. God is love. 
and, and we have wonderfully displays in, in the triune nature of God, the fact that the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world, that we have a, an eternal love which is characteristic of the being of God from all eternity. Before there were any other objects of love that had been created, God is not dependent on anyone else or anything else. It's part of who God is that he is not dependent. And so God did not need God did not need mankind to be about for his love to be flowing because within the very being of God, within the persons of the Godhead, love is being expressed. The Father loves the Son. And the Lord Jesus himself says that the world may know that I love the Father. So the Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Son. The Spirit of God is spoken about um, as the Spirit who pours forth the love of God in our hearts. And so the very realm of love eternally in the Godhead, uh, as it were, is the Spirit. And so, so here we have it. Love is indispensable. And here's why. We can actually show something of the character of God himself. Now... This really is brought out in First John chapter 3. If you go to the second half of First John chapter 3, it goes into the whole idea of love. Uh, verse 16 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives to the brethren. Don't love in word, verse 18, uh, but in tongue and in deed and in truth. Uh, and he, he de developed this as he goes through chapter 3 and into chapter 4. Um, and he'll look at this specific thought that God is love. Uh, and so he'll say, for instance, that that no one has seen God at any time. Verse 12 of First John chapter 4. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Now, you'll remember that... that there's a very similar, not exactly the same, a very similar statement made in John chapter 1. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. Now that's the thought of having seen God at all. As to his essence, he's never been seen. But he has been explained to us in the person of his Son. In the second expression here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Really the thought seems to be no one has beheld, looked upon the, the essential nature of God at any time. He's not, you know, it's that word for, for just not a single gaze, but a continual looking, a beholding. No one has beheld God at any time. But. If we love one another, God abides in us. In other words, something of the very character of God can now be displayed in public view. Something of God can be seen. Not just through his son, who is a full revelation, but through us. And his love has reached its goal in regard to us. Now look at that in your own time in more detail. First John chapter 4, quite a tremendous passage of the word of God. Coming back to where we are here. Now we... Paul, having looked at the fact that love is indispensable, he then looks on the truth that love is practical. Um, there are virtues that are associated with that. If, if it has a value that exceeds all, now he says its virtues are like a rainbow of virtues. 
Look at verse number four. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so really, what he is saying at this point is that you just stop and think about how you're using your gift. And we should do the same. How am I using my gift? What, what is it when, when the pressure is on and someone is doing something to wind us up? Are we saying love suffers long and is kind? What is it if a brother or sister in the assembly say something unkind? Well, I'll not do it then. I'm not going to use my gift. If it's going to, and we can even justify it in some way, I've been hurt. Well, love suffers long and is kind. It doesn't envy. What about some of these brothers looking on other brothers who had a different gift? Love does not envy. Love doesn't parade itself. Some of these brothers here, well, what were they doing? They were they were using their gift every opportunity that they could, whether it was beneficial to the company or not. They were using their gift. Love doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up, says Paul. Does not behave rudely. They were dividing into schisms. They, they, we, we, we've looked at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They, they were dividing into small little groups and some people were going hungry and other people were feeding their faces. That's pretty much what it says. Um, maybe that's a little harsh, but that's more or less what it says. There were some and they were all, everything was fine and others they were being left out in the cold. No, that's not, that's rude. That's seeking your own thing. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. We could go down this whole list. List does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in or it should be with the truth. What is he saying here? Well, this is really tremendous because you think of what was happening in Corinth. There were these these uh, moral issues and doctrinal issues bubbling under the surface and 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 they were being puffed up, first Corinthians chapter five. But it does not rejoice in iniquity. But it does rejoice with the truth. Says Paul. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And so he's really bringing out the fact that this love is not only indispensable. It's practical. And then having looked at that. He then says love is eternal. He contrasts it. And he shows the vitality of that love over even other gifts that were there. Whether there be prophecies they will feel. They'll be rendered inoperative. We looked at the word katergio, what it means. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. In fact, that word is the thought of ceasing of its own accord. It's happened. Um, it would seem somewhere towards the end of the first century. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. It's that expression, it will vanish away, is the same as they will feel. And so the thought is, they both will be rendered inoperative. They'll be no longer needed. Now, what made prophecies, New Testament sense, and knowledge, that special knowledge sense, not uh, necessary anymore? I suggest that it could be the completion of the canon of the New Testament, or at least of Paul's writings. So what we have is, very particularly, I think, the idea that what replaces prophecy is, is, is something that is complete, something that is going to come. We know in part now, 
We're prophesying in little pieces. We prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect, that which is complete has come, then that which is in part will be done away. We can look down this passage. There's a couple of illustrations given. He thinks of maturity. He speaks about the child. He thinks about um, the the idea of, of partial knowledge. Verse 12, we see in a, a, a glass darkly, a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Uh, and, and he says, there, there is coming a time of greater revelation. And then he comes to the end, he says, now abides faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And so really what he's been doing here is he's been taking the idea of love um, to another level. He's been bringing home to us um, the importance of that love. And while we, we might say it's a parenthesis, I don't say that in any way disrespectfully for it. Really what he seems to be doing is bringing out the motivation um, that we must have if we're going to truly be a blessing to the Lord's people, and we all should be trying to be, we should use our gift in love. That can mean putting ourselves out of the picture. Not always an easy thing for us to do. Uh, but in order that other people are blessed by what the Lord has given to us, we have a stewardship. And that is what we, the reason why we should, in love, seek to be a blessing to others. Now, I'm going to divide this Bible study, because it's two long chapters, or two full chapters, into two parts. Um, this is part number one. Uh, if you like, this is uh, Spiritual Gifts uh, and the Local Church B. Uh, spiritual Gifts and the Local Church C, which we'll be looking at chapter 14, and some of the things around that um, we'll do in another, perhaps shorter, uh, podcast after this one. Thank you.